Hey kids, you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, June 20th, 2017. The day before the summer solstice, the longest night of the year that begins my favorite season. The one I'm so very glad I'm no longer still waiting for. You know that feeling, don't you? When you're changing shape and getting ready for something new, only you don't know exactly yet what it is or how you're getting there, and those annoying facts just keep getting in your way. Only, I think this song says that way better.
from the Talking Heads 1984 live film soundtrack album, Stop Making Sense, directed by Jonathan Demme, who left the planet just two months ago and whose artistic trajectory is pretty effing amazing. He started his career working with indie film trailblazer Roger Corman and went on to direct and or produce comedies like Melvin and Howard and Married to the Mob, art house films like the Talking Heads concert movie, Stop Making Sense, Spalding Gray Swimming to Cambodia, and Rachel Getting Married, to the blockbuster Oscar winners Philadelphia and the Silence of the Lambs, to a documentary about former United States President Jimmy Carter called Man from Plains, along with an adaptation of Toni Morrison's much-beloved book, Beloved, and numerous music videos and other documentaries. And I mentioned Jonathan Demi's body of work because that's kind of the theme for today's show. Trajectories and defying labels or restrictions. It's what I intend and hope for this show to do because to be a fish out of water means to not quite fit in with a considered norm, whether it's societal, cultural, sexual, etc. But to me... Someone who swims against the current, dances to the beat of a different drum, or sees value where others see less than, to me that's precisely what elevates our humanity. Except to actually be a fish out of agua often means you end up disregarded, denied, dismissed, and unheard. For example, what would be your mental image of let's say, a Puerto Rican woman in her mid-50s who grew up in the Bronx and whose family had occasionally been on welfare, who endured sexual abuse as a child whose very religious mother had been wrongly hospitalized for believed mental issues, and who is now divorced and living alone with two cats. Only now add that this woman made her way to art school and became a performance artist, actor, comedian, burlesque MC, filmmaker, and published author. If you guessed that person was me, you are correct. <laughs> Which just goes to show that we're just a bunch of red onions, so much more than what we are at first glance, and you just need to peel back the layers to see what's there. And our guest artist this week is somebody I know from the art store's heyday, who then defied 
and continues to defy any and all labels along her path, from art star to theater performer to musician to PhD professor, professor to actor, writer, and art abounder, or I should say art abounder, all with an ability challenge that doesn't lessen one bit her badass ability to knock your drink right out of your hand should you deserve it. But first, let's listen to one of the songs she picked for today. A Dark Folk Tale of the Fury of a Woman Scorned from Nick Cave and P.J. Harvey called Henry Lee from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds Murder Ballads album in 1996. Get down, get down, little Henry Lee And stay all night with me You won't find a girl in this damn world That will compare with me The wind did howl and the wind did blow La 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 That merry green land I love fair better than thee And the wind did howl And the wind did blow La 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 A little bird let down on Henry Lee She leaned herself against defense just for a kiss or two and with a little pen knife held in her hand well she plugged him through and through and the wind did roll and the wind did
We're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now it's time for my favorite part of the show, our Fish Out of Agua Guest Artist of the Week. Woohoo! Which today, along with our usual applause, I'll preface in honor of her astrological sign with some meta-appropriate fanfare. talented, multi-talented artist and all-around creative human, Dr. Leona Godin. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So um, we've known each other like since the beginning of this century, right? Basically. Yes. 2003 was the first time I ever went to an open mic and you were there. Was it the one at Collective Unconscious or was yes. it Surf Reality? No, it was Collective Unconscious. It was just after, I think, Surf had, had closed. Oh, okay. Oh, so you didn't make it to Surf Stock? Nope. Uh. It was right after. I think it was maybe, that was a February and I think that Surf had closed a few months before. Yeah, Surf closed actually all, uh, April, April 3rd or April 5th, uh, 2003. Oh, so maybe it was still going on, but I didn't know about yeah. it yet because I was too new. So for people that don't know about Artstar, Surf Stock was the last performance at, at the, of the open mic at Surf Reality, which basically was like, ended up being like a 36-hour marathon. And like we call it Surf Stock because we're just like that. <laughs> anyway, so Dr. Godin, when you what brought you to the open mics? Had, had you been in New York very long? I had been in New York for a while, and I came here to do my PhD, and, um, I, and then I found... Uh, that I wasn't sure if I wanted to stick with being an academic. And I also, at the same time, got a dissertation grant, which if your listeners don't know, a dissertation grant is basically what every PhD student wants, which is a year to get paid and write. And then there's maybe some people out there that have had a lot of time on their hands to do their art and then find that it, they go a little mad. And so that's what happened. I was supposed to write my oh. dissertation and it was just way too much time on my hands. And so I got this wild hair where I, I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna roam around the Lower East Side and look for an open mic. Actually, one other thing happened where I had a, an accidental comedy routine at a karate camp, but that's a whole nother story. A karate camp. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and at that time, um, you, 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 still, you still were not really sighted, but you had more sight than you do now at the Definitely. time. Definitely, yes, yes. So listeners need to know that I am a blind person on the radio a- yeah, airwaves. It's, it's, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's almost kind of fitting, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You we're can't, telling you, yeah, even though... Yeah, you can't see what we look like, and she can't see you either. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So I didn't realize that you came to New York as an academic. I always thought that you came with a performance background. No. So did you come from... Um, I know you, you're from the Bay Area originally. Is that where you came from when you came to New York? No, it's complicated. Okay. I, came, I came from New Orleans, actually. Oh. So I... Are you going to, to Tulane or something? No. I graduated from, so I'm from San Francisco. I graduated from UC Santa Cruz, and my best friend was moving to New Orleans, and I was on an off semester, so I knew I was going to be applying for grad schools, but I hadn't done it yet. And so I 
took about a year and a half and just went to New Orleans. Oh my God, that's so awesome. Yeah, and we lived like complete bohemians. I almost didn't make it to grad school. Actually, there was a moment where I was in a rock band and I was a, I was a, I had a little, uh, bed and breakfast job. I was the chef in this you little were the bed. You chef? Yeah, in this oh little bed and breakfast. Blind chef? Breakfast. That's a show, blind chef. They didn't chef. know, they didn't know. They didn't, I, was pretty, I was pretty excited. So when, you know, it was like most of my life has been spent being visually impaired. So there, you wouldn't know that I couldn't see unless you asked me to read something because mm. I just was missing like my very, very central vision and some night vision. So it was a little harder for me to get around at night. But for the most part, I could I could see pretty well. And we're talking the very early 2000s. We're talking like uh, 15 years ago, basically. 2002, no, three? Well, that was before then. So okay. basically, I know we're... We, we don't care about we don't care about ages around no these, these I'm, 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 I'm not doing ages I didn't ask I didn't ask no, you no, how no, old I'm you are saying, I'm saying she was we don't seven care. she was seven <laughs> no I was more saying like we don't care if we're middle-aged artists no, still no. living a bohemian yeah. lifestyle I, I don't care so what I'm I saying was just is saying that, if a timeline for reference so we could see the trajectory of your career 90s so oh so I moved to she New was York. seven yeah I I, I was, I, you know, I graduated from uh, college at age uh, 12, you know, I'm very right, of course. smart. Yes, uh, so yes. <laughs> I, I sh really should have been a rocket scientist, but the blind thing got in the way. So, um, yeah, I was in New Orleans from like 95 to 96, and then I moved to New York from there. And okay. I came specifically for grad school to go to NYU grad school. And you yeah. ended up getting your PhD in? After a very long time in English literature, uh, the the most useful thing in the whole world. Unless yes. it's post-apocalypse and you need to build a fire or, yes. you know, yeah. build a house or something. And you did teach at NYU, I correct? Did. And, I did. And, and, you I did. did. and you went to NYU for your PhD? I did. And so through that, I had many fellowships where I taught and was going to classes, or actually really taught going to classes and then taught and was in quotes, writing my dissertation. So one day you stumbled into mm -hmm. the original Collective Unconscious Theater at 145 Ludlow Street and yeah. you saw Reverend Jen's anti-slam. I sure did. I, I got up the very first time I ever went to. You did? I did. Do you remember what you did? Yes, I did a little comedy, quote unquote comedy. I mean, nobody laughed. It was more like a little monologue <laughs> about Love it. life with my millennium. But people really oh, liked it. Yeah. yeah, people really enjoyed it because it was just very odd. I think people were a little stunned, to be quite honest. And of course, you know, I didn't have timing down or anything like that and I had it completely memorized from beginning to end so it was really more of a monologue but uh, you know I was going for comedy but people seemed to enjoy it and again it was just sort of so Don't out of left field there that, was a uh, there was a lot of comedy at the open mic that nobody that laughed, nobody at. laughed <laughs> at. Yes. and they well, had way much more experience than yeah. I did so Millennium was the guide dog that Dr. Leona had at the time mm -hmm. he was a beautiful big black lab he right was beautiful he, he had, was beautiful and, he, and I remember meeting you that very first night too really yeah. was I obnoxious no, you were very sweet. You were you were sort okay, of one good. of the, the vanguard. <gasps> of, yeah, you and the ex were there. I oh remember. yes, my ex-husband. Yes, the gothic hangman, the gothic husband. <laughs> yeah, I remember it was you and Dave Ritz. I remember were sort of oh, the I welcome. Dave Ritz dog. Yeah. Well, M Millennium kept licking my hand. Yes, he that's was what very he just fun. and it was he like was don't don't fun. touch the dog and I'm like well what if the dog touches me? Yeah. And he he would lick, lick this dog would literally sit there and lick my hand. Yeah. Yeah. So, you okay. Very tasty. I, I am, st I, reta <laughs> I retain my taste even in my dotage, darling. So, so that, um, launched a, a time of um, different art flux. stuffing for you, right? <laughs> a great time of flux. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, so w where did where did your art take you from there, from, from Reverend Joy's Anti-Slam? To Broadway I mean, Poetry Club and... 
So yes, that was February of 2003. So now we're talking, yeah, 15 years. And um, somewhere in the middle there, I did get my PhD. Somehow I finished my dissertation and actually got it. And by the time I finished it, I knew I wasn't going into academia, but it was good to finish. I mean, there was a time when I thought to myself, well, why am I doing this? Why am I bothering? But thank goodness I did, because it's, you know, uh, it, it's not the greatest thing in the world to, to, to have a PhD in English literature, but it's really sad to have almost gotten a PhD. Yeah, right. I get it. It's like not, it's, it's, it's not, not finishing sex. Yeah. It's just like yeah. getting three quarters of the way through and like yeah. saying, ah, like, yeah, forget sort of it. Almost virginity. Like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. You, you sort of lost it, but not. Yeah. not. We're not on the FCC <laughs> rules here, thankfully. Okay, <laughs> so I, it only went in three quarters of the way. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! I, As you can see, we know each other for a long time. Yes. Oh my God! So sometime after that, we definitely, uh, you know, got she 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 got rid of the hubby, and we had some good times. We had, yeah, we did. <laughs> we we had some fine times. None of which we're going to share with you. <laughs> no, that's it. But we are going to share that's, like the outtakes. Yeah, the outtakes. But um, I I know that um. In the years since, and well, actually, let me just backtrack a little mm. bit. I think you getting the graduate degree, the the piled higher and deeper, as some people call it, right? Mm. The PhD, I've never heard piled that higher. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, well, I, I went <laughs> to SVA and I have a BFA, and that's as far as I got. And we used to call it bullshit fine arts degree, mm. and I forgot what the MFA was, but the PhD was called piled higher and deeper. Wow. That's but good. I, but you could teach anywhere. Right? If you wouldn't they take you first because you have that advanced degree or no? It's tough. I mean, when it comes to an actual university job, it's all about publishing and it's you right. know it's kind of a direct right. trajectory. I mean, certainly I could get adjunct jobs, and that's what I was doing for several years. You know, after I got the before and after I got the PhD was a lot of adjunct work, and it's pretty boring. So after the open mics were done, and um, around the time that Bowie Poetry Club was closing, which was be like around 2011 and 12, mm -hmm. I, know, I know that you got in with the beautiful horse trade, horse trade theater yeah. group run by Erezib. Hey, Erez, redheaded Israeli. Woo, redhead <laughs> shout out. And um, I know that you did a couple of their frigid festivals, and I'd like you to tell us a little bit about the shows that you did there, what they were about, what inspired you, and blah, blah. Sure. So... When I was finishing up my dissertation, um, it, for the 100 years that I was finishing up my dissertation, I did not often read things that didn't have to do with the 18th, 17th and 18th century. But I somehow stumbled across this book um, called The Radical Lives of Helen Keller. Mm. And I read this tiny, it was one little dismissive line that mentioned that she was on vaudeville. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> dismissed uh, it? They dismissed that? Absolutely. To I me, mean, that would have been the thing that would have yeah. made me love her more. Well, this was really about her politics. And so oh. I think that this particular writer thought that that was sort of an embarrassing part of her life, which a lot of people did even at the time. And later. now it's quite trendy to actually talk about, you know, now if you do Google searches, it's all over the place that she was on vaudeville. I'd like to think that I had a little bit to do with it. I mean, not that it was a national sensation, but right. certainly when you when you uh, Google Helen Keller vaudeville, I come up still. So because mm. I keep writing about it and keep kind of going back to it and stuff. But but when I read that, I couldn't do anything about it at the time. I was just I was finally actually saying yes, I'm going to finish this stupid dissertation. But I put it away and I said I need to do something with this and I knew that it had to be a performance you know I mean my one of my professors at the time was saying oh you should write a book or whatever and that's just not now I've, it's funny because I've come full circle and now I'm I'm much more interested in writing and not so much about performing um so 
it's kind of come full circle. But at the time, because I was performing and writing this dissertation, I felt like it absolutely needed to be some sort of a performance. So, right. So uh, I, I, after I got the dissertation, I, I got a great little uh, uh, teaching fellowship, and I had enough money to, to basically, you know, how it is when you first start out, you have to fund your own, yes. <laughs> fund your own show. You well, have to have like, a little like, bit of money. Yeah. You know, you might make it back, which I actually did kind of break even in the end, but but uh, but you definitely have to have a little bit of money to get things started, even if all your friends are, you know, working yeah. for free or whatever. you got to rent the theater and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. So. Well, did, um, did you have to rent the theater at first? I thought you were in the Frigid Festival at first. Well, you still you still, oh, you still are paying. Thinking, you're still paying for the theater, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. and then you make the money back. The way exactly. that the, the way the Frigid Festival works, it's great as opposed to many of the Fringe festivals. Is that yes, you do have to pay for the theater rentals up front, but however, you get the artist gets to keep 100% of the ticket price. Mm -hmm. So whatever money, like you you if you have a 50 seat theater and you uh, charge $10 a ticket, then you have $500. Or was yes. my mathematics arithmetic faulty? I didn't even listen to okay, the arithmetic. I was thinking of the okay. next thing I was going yeah. <laughs> to <laughs> oh, so, so tell us the name of this first show that you did about Helen Keller in vaudeville. Okay, so when Helen Keller played in vaudeville, um, she had her very own theme song that was written by the same guy. At least some of the sources say this. It has not been completely uh, a definitive truth. But I really like this, that the same guy that composed her theme song was the same guy that wrote, Yes, We Have No Bananas. Are you kidding? Yeah. I'm so cool. What, and what year was this? So this was 20 to 24, 1920 to 24. Oh, my gosh. So almost exactly yeah. 100 years so ago. I might have to redo this show. For the, it, for the centennial. For this centennial. I might have to. I mean, it's funny because that show was much beloved and and because I was so new at performing I had no fear I mean it's funny because I wasn't young by any stretch of the imagination but I also had no fear because I just had never done anything like it and right. all my friends were performing so I was like why not and I think about it now and there were a few moments when I was on stage and I was like complete and utter stage fright would hit me at the most bizarre moments you know because I just didn't have theater experience and stuff. And when you're doing a bunch of shows, yeah. it's it's scary. And it was a one-woman show, so it was right. it was scary. I mean, it was sort of, a, I still am, I, it's kind of like thinking of what you did as a teenager. That's how I think of that show sometimes, where I'm like, wow, I can't believe I've had the balls to do that. You just do it. I mean, it's like me doing this radio show. You know, I, I kind of like to have the DIY punk mindset that I do not let not knowing how to do something right. could prevent me from trying it anyway. But there's something about live theater that yeah. is really horrifying. Yes. So, <laughs> Unless you look. So here, let me get to this point, and I'll just, and then we, so the theme song was called that was written by the same guy that wrote, Yes, We Have No Bananas, which I ended up doing a dance number to. I don't know if you remember that, but I did a dance number to in the show to Yes, We Have No Bananas. But her theme song was actually called The Star of Happiness. That's right. So I remember that's, that's what that's the right. show was called, The Star of Happiness. Helen Keller on Vaudeville was the you know subtitle because I was still very much influenced by academics where you always have to have a colon in the middle of all titles. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that that was that. That was the star of happiness. I did it a couple times. I did it in the mini fridge, and then I did it again for APAP. Yeah. Oh right, that's the because college. I was supposed to tour it, and I really got a. I, I don't have a ton of attention span. That's why I do like writing because I'm constantly having new projects and stuff, and performing the same thing over and over again is just not my cup of tea. You know, I know a lot of performers that love to perform, and you know. So the star of Helen Keller incorporated. Happiness. The Star of Happiness, sorry, thank you. The Star of Happiness incorporated oh. many um, 
visual and other aspects mm. in it. Um, ironically, none of which you ever got to see. That or, is correct. Or, I maybe saw a little bit of it at the time, but mostly, yes. So I've worked it very was, closely. It was so visually arresting was a, and stimulating. It was, it was a beautiful show. Yeah, it was a beautiful and show. I, I'm, I'm also curious to know how um, was it for you to be as a visually impaired station on that stage alone? How were you able to get your bearings? Were there any techniques that you used? Well, we were sort of learning the techniques as we went, and I have to say, I. I know performers that are, and blind performers that are much better at getting around that I do than I am. I, I always tell people like, I'm a really shitty blind person. <laughs> well, you had a really good director. <laughs> I did, she was awesome, but she was also, you know, everybody was working for free, so she was not always able to be there. So there, you know, when she was there, she was amazing. Um, now that you say it, I, of course. Uh, she's like, also Puerto Rican though, I think. I thought her name was Michelle Fontanez Hunt. No. Okay, another one, another one. Sorry, 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 Michelle Fontenay's Hunt, wherever you are, if you're listening. And I'm so sorry to the person that was my awesome director that we, I cannot we, for the we, life we, of Listen, me. we'll remember it, Brain and, and fart, if it comes later. It's the wine, damn we'll, it. We'll, yeah, I, I gave her a glass of Pinot Grigio. Off, mm. off, mm. off. Anyway, so <laughs> what? What were some of the the visual things that that were incorporated in in the show? So I work very closely with a. a dear friend of mine who is a photo archivist at the New York Public Library named David Lowe. David Lowe! Who you'll be hearing from a little bit because I, I think I talked Michelle into playing one of our songs in, yes, our, in our band, because, Better in Spine. Because she did become a musician. That's one of the things, that's true. Yeah, that's one but of the you things. know what's funny is that everyone says, well, well, you know, you've done so many different things. At the core of it all was always writing. You know, it was yeah. a way to actually get my writing out there because it took me a while to figure out how I could possibly read on stage, mm. you know, so I, it took me many years to figure out, and it's still a little bit of a work in progress. But, so songs were a way for me to kind of, you know, be able to perform my writing, and, and David Lowe and I were very uh, simpatico with that way, where it was, we weren't the greatest musicians in the world, but we really loved, like, interesting and thoughtful lyrics. Yeah, so the, that was the, the songs are good. I enjoyed every gig. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about your second the second solo I show. Did. I did a no, that was an ensemble. So oh, I, right. I basically got a bunch of sighted people to play oh, blind that's people. Right. <laughs> One of them being the storyteller extraordinaire Leslie Goshko, who yeah. we'll, we'll have on later this season. Oh, awesome! Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So we did. That's right. We I was her her accordion sidekick. That's right. We have to throw accordion yes. player into yes, the see? mix. Era. What doesn't she do? <laughs> Ballet. I did. No, oh I'm just God. kidding. I'm just kidding. I tried it. But. So what was the, that's right. What was, so what was the name of that show? That was called The Spectator and the Blind Man. That's Stories right. of Seeing and Not Seeing, which I completely ripped off of my dissertation, as a matter of fact, because my dissertation was also called The Spectator and the Blind Man, only that was uh, seeing and not seeing in the wake of empiricism, so a little bit more. Empiricism. So how many dissertations <laughs> do you think become theater? I don't think that many. I know, probably not for an English major yeah. in the 18th century. Probably not yeah. too many, I know. So, and I'm still working with that material. I mean, so basically that was the sort of what I build as the very sexy history of the invention of Braille. Mm. So uh, I kind of wrote several monologues and there's actually still some being, I'm still writing some of them. Uh, I've written two more since then uh, that have become kind of flash fiction instead. Nice. Um, and you and you also are an actress. You've been in a couple of television commercials. Well, one commercial. I that's thought I saw paid two. For a lot of art. I thought I thought it was two. Anyway, no, whatever. No, okay. just one. Okay. There's another one that people think because damn it, apparently she looks a little bit like me. The one that she's kind of in the dark with the cane. Yeah. Yeah, not me. Oh, it's not. <laughs> 
<laughs> so after after the solo performances and um, the acting sojourn, um, you've you've basically segued like into the one continuous thread of of your art, which is writing. And like your latest project now is like you're trying to do an essay a week. That's kind of part of it. That's just simply for my blog. That's kind okay. of the the um, the just a kind of a discipline thing. Um, well, you've published some really profound stuff. I mean, you've Aww. touched on some topics that like really like broke my friggin' heart. Aww. You know, at drmlgodan.com. Yes. <laughs> So, um, and, and, you know, and you also are a poet, and uh, I, I um, had heard a rumor that you prepared a little something. I did. Is us. it that time? Um, yeah, let's get, let's get to it, and then, cool. we could, and then we could end with the gutter and spine stuff and the song. Awesome. Yeah, so anyway, so this is what Dr. Godin now um, is going to read <laughs> off of her iPhone, which I don't know how this works, so please explain. Yeah, so this is actually a new thing for me. I... I started reading in public about three years ago with a little machine that um, was basically a very mysterious thing that had a keyboard and then a speech output. So I would make the lines very, very short and basically arrow through the text. which is something that I used to do when I when I would read something, uh, like perform a lecture or whatever at school. So I don't know why it took me so long to figure that one out. But now, because we're traveling, we're sort of artist uh, vagabonds. She, she, she and her partner are vagabonding, yeah, or art, vagabonding. art vagabonding, yeah. or vaga-arting. We're vaga-arting. You're vaga-arting. Or artabonding, or something. Oh, I like artabonding. <laughs> I like artabonding. It sounds like the autobond. Yeah, so did you utilize this technique in the art exhibit that you had before you left New York for your year? of art bonding? No, that was completely different. That was this crazy, um, sorry, I'm saying yes, that it's okay that I'm I'm on my iPhone. So maybe I should just explain this really okay. quick. Okay. So I've got a, um, I've got just a regular old iPhone here, uh, the kind that everybody buys at the Apple store. And every iPhone is equipped with something called voiceover. And you just go to the settings in um, accessibility and you can turn on voiceover. So if you want a good time, you can turn on voiceover and then you can do what's called a three finger tap and that will turn off the screen for you and you can feel what it's like to be a blind person on an iPhone. So anybody can, you can try this at home without any danger. Wow, Yeah. so So it doesn't like blow up. It doesn't blow up. <laughs> it doesn't blow up. You just have to find your way around to be able to. Uh, wow. to so to how do you around. find your way around? Do you, are things raised? Are they? They're not warm, raised. It's they... just a regular old iPhone here. So I'll give a tiny, dis- a tiny demonstration. So okay. it's basically just speech. So we get a little preview of my uh, of my poem here. But um, so basically, oh, so there's audio prompts. It's like Siri's talking to you. So basically, the only reason it's different is because here I'm going to go to the desktop because people are always so interested. So. Um, this is just my desktop. So the only thing that's different with my iPhone is that instead of when I do a single tap, it instead of activating it, it reads it. Um, so here are all my apps here. iBooks. Playbooks. Oh, here I should slow this down, shouldn't I? It, it sounds like... It doesn't sound like Major Barrett in Star Trek. Here, if I slow it down a little bit, sorry. Uh, Characters, uh, speaking rate. Okay, speaking rate. 65%, 65%, Here, maybe you can understand it now. Kindle. Sorry, sighted people. I know you need box. a little handicap. I, I'm, I, listen, I'm, I'm a geek. I'm fascinated with this. <laughs> so, um, all right. So here we have all these different apps. So basically, in order to interact with something, I double tap. 
So instead of single tapping, I double tap. Single tap is for it to read it. Oh, okay. So it's exactly the same, and that's why I say you don't need any new equipment, nothing at home. You can know exactly uh, what it's like to interact with, um, wow. with so, an iPhone. Wow, so like anybody can try this. Yeah, that's they do have Braille outputs, which I know people have those. Um, I'm just, you know, after all of my interest in Braille, and I, I'm fascinated by it, I think it's the coolest thing ever, I really suck at it. So I don't really use Braille that much. I use it to, you know, uh, mark my makeup and stuff, but other well, than... Well, that would be useful. You don't want to put your lipstick on your eyes as well, I. Well, lipstick, no, oh, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, but I know. like colors. I know. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I was being ass. facetious. I am a smart ass. That's why we're friends. That's why you love me. Uh, all right. So okay. tell us a little bit about this poem. This poem. Um, did I write this poem? I wrote this poem a couple of years ago. It was inspired by a line in Nietzsche. Sorry to say that I dedicate this poem. Oh to God, my, English lit majors. My boyfriend, Freddie Nietzsche. And, um, Freddie? Yeah, Freddie. Oh, that's right, Frederick. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> um, I'm thinking of Fab Five Freddie, you know. And what's the other Freddie? Jason from, uh. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah. almost as scary. And I almost also had an Uncle Freddie. So, you know. And, and there's Freddie Mercury. How could you, you took that long to get there? That oh, well, you know it bees like that sometimes. <laughs> so, without further ado, a short performance by Dr. Leona Godin. Well, this poem is dedicated to my boyfriend, Freddie Nietzsche. A pain named dog. A pain named dog. I've given a name to my pain and call it dog. I can tell it to sit, lay down, roll over, play dead. I scold it and shame it and pretend it's my bitch. And though it worries my carcass and growls and shits, it gives me a leg up on profundity. I've given a name to my beauty and call it snake. I observe it wind my hand, delicate as flowers, ferocious as fangs. I tell it pulse danger, swallow blind mice. And though its little murders do not ripple the still water universe, it's all about ego feeling groovy. I've given a name to my anger and call it cockroach. I fatten it with booze and candy. It waxes petty and cruel. I chase it to squash it, curse its very existence. But because it incites war in the bowels of men, it does me some good, keeps them in check. I've given a name to my disease and call it devil. Sad devil means spirited, jealous and cruel. I know the fiend called devil as the blindness called life. Still I shout huzzah with the rest. It appeases, why not? I've given a name to my sadness and call it God. I tell it, you are dead, long live you. I command sit, stay, roll over, at least fucking play dead. And though it is just as obtrusive, as entertaining, shameless as any other God, there are others, I pray, that's it. Oh, okay. So that was a bit of a construction from the photo shoot because, you, you know, I scammed the conference room for these interviews and this part is staying in. <laughs> so, so yeah, because it was, that right was when I said devil. I know. Like that. We're keeping it. We're keeping it. We're totally keeping that. Oh, my God. That's, that's so awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that poem actually sounds a little bit like a gutter and spine song. It like has some that of the lyrics. It, it has, probably could have been. If, if I was still in gutter and spine, it probably yeah. would have been a gutter well, and spine I, song. Well, I do want to get to gutter and spine. Yeah. The other thing that I, I want to, you to, to 
talk about is your your art, your the art that people, the visual art that you make. And I want you to talk a little bit about how you transformed your apartment, your New York City apartment, into an <laughs> art exhibit right before you and your partner left for your year of vaga arting or, yeah. or art bonding. Art bonding. I like art bonding. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. Um, so I uh, I had a lot of shit. I had lived in this Astoria apartment for 17 years, almost since the time that I came to, to New York. And um, I, I just collected a ton of stuff. I kept bringing stuff back from California, old clothes. And then I got really into doing braille art for a while, so made lots of kind of pieces with plaster of Paris. You can do a lot with plaster of Paris and braille paper. So um, all those things combined to make this exhibit where I was basically needing to get rid of a lot of stuff. I mean, you're not going to take, you know, scraps of old lace on the road with you or clothes. You know, literally, I had a skirt that I had had when I was 12. I thought I would make, I thought I would uh, repurpose it for something, and then I never did. So for the art exhibit, I, I covered this pink taffeta skirt. I used it to uh, cover a shovel that happened to be in my house. So that's the kind of stuff I did. Paper mache, one of my old uh, given-to-me accordions, because... Once you have an accordion, everybody wants to give you accordions. So I had, <laughs> I had like four accordions, some of which were nice, some of which were not so nice. So the not so nice one got paper mache with drum music, <laughs> um, which the drum music was because at one time I was a drummer for gutter yes. and spine. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what what struck you in oh, that the, exhibit. The, what, 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 what did you like? What struck me were were the little devices that you used to point at something right. and then it spoke to you. So that was a tagging device that I got a long time ago that's supposed to sort of help with organization. So you can, for example, um, make a little message, a, a, an audio. It's a really interesting mix of uh, analog and digital technology. So how, how, do you, how would you use that to help you in your everyday life? Um, so if I were a normal blind person, I would have used it to like label spices or label, uh, um, you know, my makeup or okay. label shampoo. So gotcha. basically you can put these little round tags and, um, and then you touch this magic wand to it and you press a button and the magnetic strip takes on a voice message. So you can say, beep, cinnamon, or beep, green beans. So how did this incorporate into art? So instead of using this practically, which I actually never did use it practically, for my distillation installation, because it was a distillation of everything that I had in my Astoria apartment. And this was a big apartment. It was like a three and a half bedroom place that I had shuffled from one place, one room to another. So I had a ton of crap. Many a party. Yeah, many a party, ton of crap. So I, um, I decided that I would make my own labels. You know, the way that you would have at a museum, you would have something that would say sort of when it was made, what the material was, what the name of it was, mm. or what have you. Um, so I decided to make my own, and they were sort of poetic. When my guests, my tours went through, I would give the wand to a, a special person. I think it was you on your tour. <clears throat> and you would touch the little wand to the dot, and then that would tell you about what that exhibit was, what that, that particular piece it, was. It was just so amazing. Um, and then that was a construction Photoshop noise we heard in behind a little yeah. bit of this segment. And okay. yeah, nice mixing. I know, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. So um, in closing, I'm going to close with one of the one song from Gutter and Spine. Can you just briefly tell us um, about the inception of Gutter and Spine? Who was in it, and who's going to be in this song? 
Yes, well, this is myself singing a song called Sludge that was inspired by a poem by Lady Mary Roth, another shamelessly uh, English department thing. But it's a pretty rockin', I think you can agree, it's a pretty rockin' song. So um, in it is uh, David Lowe on guitar. He wrote the guitar part. Um, who is playing on that? And then, oh, I'm on drums and singing, and David Hornbuckle, another yes. amazing art star, is playing bass. And I think he might have a PhD by now, too. All these educated art stars. <laughs> Anyways, he was a very excellent musician, and uh, and we r recorded this this song um, and, our, and our album. And actually, that was the, the album name was Sludge. So gutter it. Gutters, Gutter and spine. spines, sludge, and slime, and art. Dr. Leona, do you have, before we get to the song, do you have anything else you'd like to say to Fish Out of Agua and yes. Radio Free Brooklyn? One more thing. Gutter and spine may sound like a punk rock name, and it is, but it was also a very literary term. So maybe this is a little guessing game for, your, uh, for, your, for our listeners. Um, Gutter and spine, how is it literary? Shall I answer? Shall we answer? All right, so uh, here we go. Was Sludge from Gutter and Spine featuring Dr. Leona, David Lowe, and David Hornbuckle. Like them? Find them on Apple Music, Amazon, or Spotify. Just like the cool kid that you are. Gutter and Spine was there one day, gone the next. Just like a lot of art. I guess not everything is meant to be archival. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes that reminds me of how some of our friends, family, or co-workers sometimes just don't get why we do what we do. Because being an artist is 
different than being what my fetish friends would call vanillas, my witchy friends would call muggles, or what for argument's sake I would call civilians. And sometimes you ask yourself, why are you still doing this? But you know what the answer is. Like in this storylet, this little story snippet that I originally wrote for a newsletter called Toxic Pop. Anybody out there remember Toxic Pop? <laughs> I wrote this a sprinkle of years ago, and it's called Because. Last Thanksgiving, a family member asked me why did I choose to be an artist when I could have been, in their mind, so many other far more worthy things, a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, an office manager, a dental hygienist, and then they asked me, so, you've been doing this forever, why aren't you famous yet? When are you going to be on TV, Broadway, or in a movie with people whose names I recognize? Why wasn't your book in my Book of the Month Club? Ah, and then there was my personal favorite. Michelle, aren't you way too old for this? When are you going to get a real job, a real life? Be normal. Why indeed? When I thought about it, I thought, yeah, why would anyone normal subject themselves to insecurity, working two or more jobs 24-7, 365, creating things maybe only a handful or roomful of people may ever get to read or see, things we may not live to enjoy recognition for. Why would anyone normal subject themselves to constant examining and re-examining of one's means, methods, and motives? Of perhaps not ever owning a primary house, never mind a summer residence, a car, or health insurance? Why would anyone normal continue to create through resistance, procrastination, unemployment, breakups, disappointments, accidents, illnesses, deaths, why would anyone normal subject themselves to living week to week for yet another year of refusing to tell the wolf, to feed the wolf that tells you you're an imposter, a fraud, you'll never be good enough. So why don't you just give up now? Why would anyone normal continue what you were doing when you feel a fear sometimes that's so real, so solid, so tangible, it literally threatens to make you faint, puke your guts up, shit your brains out, yet you take that mic in that basement, get up on that backroom stage, sit at that computer, piano, or sewing machine, Pick up that pen, charcoal, guitar, paintbrush, chisel, camera, recorder, drumstick, saxophone, cello, microphone, dance shoes, headdress, pasties, and you or you open up that Microsoft Word, Photoshop, InDesign, Illustrator, Tinkercad, iMovie, Dreamweaver, GarageBand, Hindenburg, Final Cut, or Dragon Frame program, and you do it anyway. Why? Why indeed? And who? Who would subject themselves to a lifetime of this? They'd have to be what most so-called normal people would consider fucking insane. Yes and no. Because it's not a choice. Because you know that something inside you will die if you cannot, do not, do your work, do your art. Because you love it. Yes, you love it as much or even more than being loved.
So to every A.B. Abbey normal artist listening, who refuses to sublimate the dream, who keeps on keeping on, who feels the fear but does it anyway, we at Radio Free Brooklyn give thanks for you and to all of you who support us. Oh, and speaking of support, how can one support us, you might ask? Oh, it's easy. Just go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com and uh, find RadioFreeBrooklyn.com forward slash donate or RadioFreeBrooklyn.com forward slash pledge. And you can sponsor sponsor any show, including <clears throat> Fish Out of Bago with Michelle Carlo for as little as a dollar per episode. Hey, that's the cost of that lotto ticket. You know you ain't gonna win anyway. Well, maybe not this week. <laughs> so that's our show. And we're gonna leave you with a couple of songs. This first one is also chosen by Dr. Leona, and it's called Ne Me Quite Pas, or Don't Leave Me, which was originally by the late, great Jacques Brel, and is sung here by the also and equally late and great Nina Simone. And then we'll have a song by the Pixies, Monkey Gone to Heaven, which kind of reminds me of Gutter and Spine, maybe because they both sang about sludge. Eh, anyway... I like this song. I'm playing it. See you next week. Ne me quitte pas. Il faut oublier tout. Pas oublier qui s'enfuit déjà. Oublier le temps des malentendus le temps perdu. À savoir comment oublier ces heures qui tuaient parfois de pourquoi le cœur de bonheur ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas. Moi, je t'enfuie des perles de pluie venues de pays où il ne pleut pas. Je creuserai la terre jusqu'après ma mort pour couvrir ton corps doré de lumière. Je ferai en demain où l'amour sera roi, où l'amour sera loi, où tout sera règne. Ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas. Que tu comprendras, je te parlerai de ces amants-là qui ont vu deux fois le cœur s'embraser. Je te raconterai l'histoire de ce bois mort, de n'en vois pas plus tu rencontrer. Ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas. Ne me quitte pas. On a vu souvent rejaillir le feu de l'ancien volcan qu'on croyait trop vu. Il est paraît-il des terres brûlées donnent plus de blé qu'en meilleur avril. Et combien le soir, au ciel flamboie, le rouge et le noir ne s'épousent-ils pas? Ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas.
me cacherai là à te regarder danser et sourire à t'écouter chanter et puis rire laisse-moi devenir l'ombre de ton ombre l'ombre de ta mère l'ombre de ton chien ne me quitte pas Got killed by 10 million pounds of sludge from New York and New Jersey. 